So, a few years ago, I was having a meeting for some volunteers of ours, and I wanted to get them dinner for this meeting, so we got them pizza. And I went and ordered pizza from a place I had never been to before. I've never had their pizza, so I didn't know if it was actually any what? Good. So I walk into this pizza place, and I tell the young lady behind the counter my name, and she goes into the kitchen to get my order. And as I'm waiting, I look around the restaurant, and I realize there are a total of two other people in the entire place. So this isn't a good sign. And the two people are actually two ladies sitting at a booth across from one another. And I'm watching them, and they have just been brought their pizza. One of the women takes her first piece. She puts it on her plate. She then picks it back up, takes her first bite of pizza, puts the piece back down. She chews. She swallows. She then looks to her right, where there are several employees, some servers and some cooks, having a conversation outside of the kitchen door. And she looks over at them. She raises her right fist in the air, and she yells with all the excitement and intensity she can muster across the restaurant, yes! (laughs) She then, almost in slow motion, lowers her right fist, She faces forward. She takes a long, slow sip from her beverage. She puts her cup back down. She looks across the table at the woman sitting in front of her, looks her dead in the eyes and says, that's what I'm talking about. (laughs) What is she saying? She's saying this pizza is good. Well, this is week three of our teaching series, 40 Days of prayer. And our small groups for this series began this last week. And if you aren't in one of these groups yet, it is not too late. Please go talk to one of our Next Step volunteers out in the atrium, or you can sign up online for a group that meets in a home somewhere around our community, or there's a group that meets here on Wednesday evenings at 6.30, and we had like 55 people show up this last Wednesday. It was fantastic. So I hope you are able to get a part, be a part of one of those. And what I want to talk about today is I want to talk about the goodness of God when we ask for things in prayer. And there are many, many, many facets to prayer. Asking God for things is just one of them, but that's what we're going to talk about today. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about where we start in prayer, which means we'll talk about a 90s child movie star. Then we'll talk about our posture in prayer, which means we'll talk about a stray cat my family once fed for three days straight. Then... We'll talk about what we need to be okay with in prayer, which means we'll touch on a story from a dude named Job in the Old Testament. Then we'll talk about God's invitation to us in prayer, which means we'll talk about lifesaver mints. Are you ready to go? Okay, first, where we start in prayer. Here's where we start in prayer. Trust. Trust. That's where we start. Let's go all the way back to the beginning. Genesis chapter one, God creates light. He sees that the light is good. Then God creates the land and the seas and he saw that it was good. Then God creates vegetation for the land. You have your trees, you have your fruit, you have your plants. God saw that it was good. That's three. Then God creates lights for the sky. You have your sun, your moon, your stars. God saw that it was Good, that's four. Then God creates creatures for the sea and for the sky. You have your fishies, you have your birdies. God saw that it was 
Good, that's five. Then God creates creatures for the land. You have your hyenas. God saw that it was good. That's six. Then God creates humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then God looks at everything he had made and he saw that it was very good. That's seven. Now the word good, that gets translated good in the Hebrew language in the Old Testament, it's the word tov. Let me hear you say tov. And the fact that the author uses this word seven times in Genesis chapter one, it's significant, it's meaningful, and it's intentional because seven to the ancient Hebrew mind, to the biblical mind, signified spiritual perfection. A perfection, by the way, that culminated in the creation of you and me. The word tov, here's what it means. It means something that is good or pleasant or delightful. It means something, it means to be glad or joyful. It means something that is pure or acceptable. It can mean something that is delicious or sweet or savory in taste. It means something that is valuable or something that is excellent of its kind. And this is the basis for everything God creates. God only knows how to create things that are good, which, may I remind you, includes you. And then you get to the New Testament. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, and he starts talking about prayer, and he says this, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Really, Jesus, everyone who asks, receives. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, thanks for the compliment, Jesus. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give what? good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give what? Good gifts to those who ask him. So in this passage, Jesus starts with three commands and six promises. The three commands, ask, seek, knock. These aren't suggestions Jesus has given us. These are commands. We have some work to do in our relationship with God. Ask, seek, knock. He then gives us six promises attached to this. He says, the first three, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. And then Jesus says, just in case you missed these first three promises, I'll give you three more. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. And then for the rest of the passage, Jesus asks two funny and rhetorical questions that we'll talk about a bit later. And then he has this line. If you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And the word good here in the New Testament, now in the Greek language, is the word agathos. Let me hear you say agathos. Well done. It means this. It means something that is good or useful or beneficial. It means something that meets a high standard. It's something that is worth much. And this is the basis for everything God gives us. God only knows how to give us things that are good. By the way, side note, two passages before this passage. Jesus is talking about do not worry. 
He says, who by worrying can add a single hour to their life? And now it's as, it's as if Jesus is saying, okay, for those of you worriers out there, you wanna know the antidote to worry? It's this. It's to have a deep-seated trust that your Father in heaven is willing to give you the good things that you need. A few questions. Do you trust that God is good? Do you trust that God created you good? Do you trust that God only knows how to give you good gifts? Do you trust that everyone who asks receives without exception, although there's a caveat that we'll get to later? Do you trust? And this question, obviously, brings us to Macaulay Culkin. (laughs) Who remembers Macaulay Culkin? Yeah, Home Alone, Mac, as some of you like to call him. Yeah, Macaulay Culkin, now 38 years old. Here's a more recent picture of Macaulay Culkin. And I, this week, heard an interview. I saw an interview with Macaulay Culkin. And the interviewer asked him, he said, how did you get to be a child movie star? And Macaulay Culkin said, easy. I was boisterous, and I could remember my lines. (laughs) And he said something interesting. He said, you know, all directors care about in child actors is if you can memorize your lines. He said, because the directors, they'll deal, they can, they can work with everything else. And whether that's true or not, I don't know, that's what, that's what he said, but it's interesting, it got me thinking this week, and I thought, you know, I think one of the most basic things God cares about is if we trust him. He, he can work with the rest of us. Do you trust that God is good? There was a pastor in the mid-1900s named A.W. Tozer, and he said this, He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us because it affects everything else in our lives. Whether or not we trust that God is good at the most basic level will affect how or even if we pray. I mean, this is the difference between prayer being enjoyable and an exciting experience and prayer being a boring experience or something that we don't even bother with. Where do we start in prayer? We start with trust. Now, what is our posture in prayer? Our posture is humility. Humility. Here's what I mean. A couple years ago, my family was living in Houston, and we all of a sudden realized that every once in a while, we would see a cat in our backyard. And we noticed that every time we saw this cat, the cat was skinnier than it was the previous time we saw it. And so one evening, we're having dinner out on our back patio, the four of us, and my wife, Corey, is sitting across from me. She gets up to go take her plate into the kitchen, and then out of nowhere, this cat gets on her chair, puts its paw on the table, and just looks at the food on the table. So I took a picture of it. Our kids immediately began asking if we could feed this cat. I immediately said no. (laughs) I know where that leads. But after 30 minutes of please, 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 please from my kids and my wife, so, so now I am the only one in my family without any emotional attachment to this cat. And it was either out of love for my family or sympathy for my, for this cat or sheer stupidity. (laughs) 
I finally said yes, and so we fed the cat tuna and milk, and here's the cat eating the tuna. Our kids right away named this cat Milky. We fed Milky for three days. <laughs> and at night, I would turn on the back patio light just to see what was going on in the backyard, and I would see this. Don't give me that awe. Come on. Come on. The dang thing wouldn't leave. <laughs> So after three days, I had enough. I went to the animal shelter. I got a trap. I brought the trap home, put it on the patio, put a can of tuna in the trap, stepped back. Mind you, the omni-intelligent Milky watched me put the trap on the patio, watched me put the tuna in the trap, watched me step back. And within seconds, Milky runs into the trap. Trap door shuts. Milky starts freaking out, turning in frantic circles. Uh, I start laughing because remember, no emotional attachment to the cat. My wife and my daughter start crying. I start telling my wife and my daughter, it's okay, this is the best thing for Milky. Somehow my wise, comforting words are not helping the situation. So I call the animal shelter and they send someone out to pick up Milky and to take him back to the shelter. Four days later was a Sunday. After a church service, a woman comes up to me, and this woman in our church, unbeknownst to me, volunteered at this particular animal shelter. And she came up to me and she said, hey Matt, I, I know that you brought Blazin earlier this week, and I just want you to know that like two days after, a really great family adopted him, and now he has a wonderful home. Blaze? She said, yeah, yeah, they, they came, they named him Blaze, and they took him home, it's a great family. Great, that's awesome. I'm glad he has a great home, but Milky was a much better name for that cute cat of ours. <laughs> no emotional attachment to the cat. <laughs> but what is the lesson we learn from Milky Blaze? <laughs> it's this. Dependence isn't bad. Dependence isn't bad. At some point, Milky Blaze realized he was either going to get fed on our back patio or he wasn't going to get fed at all. So he showed up on our back patio. And God's promise in this passage is that he will supply the good gifts and the needs of his children when we acknowledge our dependence on him. But acknowledging our dependence takes great humility. It takes getting to the table and saying, look, I got nothing. I need help. It takes great humility because oftentimes what we're taught is that we can do it on our own. We don't need anybody else. And if we actually do need help, it's actually a sign of weakness, we're told a lot of times. I would suggest that message is actually anti-gospel of Jesus. And here's why. Because what that will eventually lead to is this instinctive reluctance in us to ask for things and to receive. I would suggest largely we have a receiving problem. A lot of times we're not very good at receiving. Do you know anyone who you did a favor for them or you bought them a meal or you gave them a gift and they immediately started talking about how they're gonna pay you back? Because now the transaction scale is off and they owe you and they can't really deal with it. Or someone breaks both of their legs, they're in a wheelchair, and you're like, how do I help? I'll watch your kids, I'll go grocery shopping for you, I'll order you something. They say, no, I'm fine, I'm good. No, you're not. Look at you, you actually need lots and lots of help. You just don't want to admit it. 
Or do you know anyone who is somehow under the impression that to be dependent or to ask for things or to receive is somehow selfish? Maybe you've been under this impression that if you ask for something or if you receive something from someone, it's selfish on your part. But what if? What if it's actually a sign of humility, which is a sign of maturity? Do we have a receiving problem? N.T. Wright, in his commentary on this passage, he said this. He said, maybe it isn't selfish to ask for things. Maybe it's just the natural thing that children are supposed to do with parents. Where do we start in prayer? We start with trust. What's our posture? It's humility. Which leads us to this. There's something we need to be okay with in prayer. And what we need to be okay with is mystery. Mystery. Here's why. If God is good, if God created us good, if God only knows how to give us good gifts, if it's true that everyone who asks receives, everyone who asks in faith receives without exception, then why in the world don't things always happen how we want them to or how, they think they should ha- how we think they should happen? If this is a universal promise from Jesus that everyone who asks in faith receives, then why don't I have what I've been asking for? Why is it that there are couples who want more than anything to have a baby and for some reason they're not able to and there are other couples who want nothing to do with having a baby and they get pregnant? Why? Why is it that some people get healed from their illnesses while others who may have actually been praying more for healing don't? Why? Why is it that an all-loving, all-powerful, all-wise God would not give us the good things we ask for when we ask for them? Here's the answer. I don't fully know. (laughs) I don't know. There is a great mystery to prayer. And if we don't learn to be okay with this mystery, and if we don't learn to live well in the moments when we don't have all the answers, then prayer is going to drive us absolutely crazy. But if we can still trust that God is good when things don't go how we wanted them to go, and when we don't have the answers as to why they didn't go how we wanted them to go, then prayer can still transform our hearts in beautiful and in endless ways. And here's the caveat. Jesus' promise is when you ask God in faith for things, he's going to give you something good. But you and I don't get to choose what that good something is. We don't get to choose what that good something is. It might be exactly what we asked for, but it might be something else like peace or hope or patience or joy or the opportunity to grow in our faith in this particular situation, even though that will be quite hard. You and I, we we don't get to choose what that good something is. Why wouldn't an all-loving, all-wise, all-powerful God give us the good things we ask for right when we ask for them? I don't fully know. But here's what I do know. For some reason, for some reason, It has never been God's plan to bring his kingdom all at once. It's never been his plan to bring his kingdom all at once, even though that's what we want. And and that's what the first century God followers wanted. 
when Jesus comes on the scene, they're thinking, oh, great. Jesus is immediately going to squash Rome. He's going to wipe them out. We're not going to be oppressed anymore. Everything will be perfect. That didn't happen when the Messiah came on the scene. And we often have this expectation too. We think whenever we ask for something that's good and that's right and that will be helpful, Jesus, God needs to just give it to us now. The child should stop being abused now. Our marriage should get fixed now. We should find employment now. But that doesn't always happen. All we know is that we live in a world that is broken. And for some reason that we trust to be good and that we don't yet fully understand, God's plan isn't to bring his kingdom all at once. Now, two more quick insights here about what I believe to be true about prayer in the midst of all of this mystery. First, sometimes God doesn't give us what we ask for because we don't realize what it is we're actually asking for. There's a spot in the Gospels where the mother of James and John, two of Jesus' disciples, comes up to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, let my boys, when you're in your kingdom, sit at your right and your left, which were the places of honor. And God looks at her and he says, you don't even know what you're asking for. You don't know what you're asking for. Sometimes we ask for things that we think we want, think we need, but we don't have the whole picture. We have a limited perspective, or it's not at the deepest level what we actually want or need. We're settling for something on the surface, or this thing would actually hurt us down the road. And God, in all of his grace, says, no, I can't do that. I'm not going to give that to you because you don't even know what you're asking for. That is going to be harmful for you later on. This isn't actually what you want or what you need anyway, or this, you, this isn't what you think it is. You don't know what you're asking for. You're going to have to trust me on this one. Second, there's the that'll fit principle. That'll fit. Even when we ask for good things that we don't receive, and even when we make a mess of things, we make choices that add to the disruption of this world. Because in case you didn't know, you and I, we've added to the disruption of this world. Right? Anyone in here ever make a choice that added to the disruption of this world? Yeah, the rest of you are liars, which means you just added to the disruption <laughs> of this world. Even then, even in that situation, God looks at it and he says, okay, that'll fit. That'll fit. I, I wish you didn't have to deal with this because this isn't the way I intended it to be. Or I actually hate it that you made this decision. That wasn't right. I, I don't want you to do that. But I can use even this in my good plans for you. There is a world of difference between something being caused by God and something being used by God. I was in a meeting a week and a half ago and Pastor John Smith had this line about caused by God versus used by God. And I immediately wrote it down and thought, yes, people, people need to hear this. See, the biblical, the biblical promise is not that God caused the situation, whatever it is, or that it happened for a reason. That's not the promise. The promise is even in this, even in this garbage dump of a situation, God can use it to bring about something good in our lives. Even here. In the Old Testament, there's a guy named Job. 
And if you've read Job's story, you know it's a story of loss. It's a story of suffering. It's a story of tragedy. If you haven't read the story of Job, do it sometime this week. He loses his family. He loses his health. He loses his business. Everything. Yet still, in the midst of it all, Job is able to say this. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Can you still trust that God is good when things don't go how you wanted them to go? And it's interesting, here in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. But you get later in Matthew's gospel. And there is a door that is shut and it is not opened when five bridesmaids knock on it and want to enter the banquet. But, but when you knock, the door will be open. And then later in the gospel, Jesus himself is praying in the garden of Gethsemane. He's asking God for something and he doesn't get what he asked for. But everyone who asks receives. Are you okay with the mystery of prayer? Where do we start? We start with trust. What's our posture? It's humility. What do we need to be okay with? It's mystery. And then finally, God's invitation to us in prayer is to explore. When we ask God God for things in prayer, what we get to do is explore the extent of God's generosity. A dozen years ago or so, I was working for an organization called Youth for Christ, and I I led a, a youth group for a middle school with one particular middle school in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And so I was in the school a lot, and I was around a lot, and there was a teacher at the school named Mr. Duba. Mr. Duba constantly carried a lot of Lifesaver mints in his pocket. He called them, creatively, Duba mints. <laughs> and any time a student came up to Mr. Duba and said, hey, Mr. Duba, can I have a Duba mint? Mr. Duba would reach into his pocket, pull out a mint, and hand it to the student. Now, I say any time, but that's not entirely true. If the timing of the request was off, if, if a student asked during a test, Mr. Duba would say no. Or if Mr. Duba thought that the student was going to use the mint for something the mint wasn't intended for, like throw it across the room at another student, Mr. Duba would say no. But the vast majority of the time, Mr. Duba would say yes. And Mr. Duba loved saying yes. And I watched Mr. Duba give probably hundreds of mints out over the years. And every time, the smile on Mr. Duba's face was bigger than the smile of the student who was receiving this good gift that they had just asked for. Jesus says, which of you, if if your child asked for bread, would give him a stone? Or if they asked for a fish, would give him a snake? bread and fish, they were staples of the day. They were like the most common foods. So the kid here in Jesus' example isn't asking for a brand new Lamborghini. The kid's asking for a basic need, like lunch. Mom, can I have lunch? Yeah, sure, here's a stone. Dad, can I have lunch? Yeah, yeah, here's, here's a snake. A stone would be super duper unhelpful. A snake would be dangerous. Which of you? If your child asked for breakfast, would give them a marble? Which of you, if your spouse asked you to get them a drink of water, would bring them gasoline? Which of you, 
if your roommate asked you to drive them to work would give them a pogo stick? Which of you, if your neighbor asked to borrow your lawnmower, would hand them tweezers? I mean, this is, Jesus, this is the absurdity of Jesus' examples. This is Jesus being funny. And he has a simple point, and it's this. God does not need to be persuaded to give you things that are good. God loves to do it. And I believe God's smile is always bigger than ours when we receive the good gifts that we've asked for. In our 201 class here, one of our next step classes, one of the things we talk about is prayer. And this section is often talk about, taught by one of our fantastic teachers, Joanna Trippi. And Joanna Trippi is so fantastic at teaching this because like, she lives this out. Prayer is a huge part of her life. And if you've taken the 201 class, you know this. One of the things Joanna always says in this class is, when you pray, expect an encounter with the living God. She says, the ground might not always shake. Lightning might not always strike. Angels might not always come down. You might not know for years all that happened in that encounter. But if you come to prayer and faith, I guarantee you, you will have an encounter with the living God. And I would add this. When you ask God for things in prayer, expect that he is going to give you something good. Ask, seek, knock, and see what happens. Expect some surprises along the way. Expect to have an encounter with the living God, but don't you dare expect that God will ever let you down. Expect an encounter with the living God. Psalm 34 was written by a guy named David. David, at one point in his life, chose to commit adultery. Then David chose to try to cover up his adultery by murdering the husband of the woman who he committed adultery with. That's pretty jacked up. And even in that, God used it in David's life. Because, David, that was a terrible choice. Never do that again. I hate it that you did it. But even that, I'll make fit into your story. And so David then writes Psalm 34, and he's encouraging his readers to seek God because God is the one who gives us good things, like forgiveness. And David knows exactly what it is to receive these good things. And so at one point, David simply says this, taste and see that the Lord is good. David says, here's what I want, you to do. I want you to do. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How can you taste and see that the Lord is good today? In other words, what good thing or what good things do you need to ask God for today? There's a line at the bottom of the sermon notes and that's there so you, write, you can write down the good thing or the good things that you need to ask God for today. And if you are in a small group and you saw our midweek video from last week, uh, Pastor John Smith actually asked this question in the video. And so you may have already been thinking about this. It can be the same answer. What is it? What good thing do you need to ask God for today? Jesus promises that God will give you something good. You and I just don't get to choose what that good something is. Trust, humility, mystery, 
explore. She took the first bite of her pizza. She put the slice down. She chewed it. She swallowed it. She then looked to the right where the employees were talking. She lifted her right fist in the air and she said, yes. She then turned back and faced forward, took a long, slow sip from her beverage. She put the cup down. She looked in the eyes of the woman sitting across from her and she said, that's what I'm talking about. In the 1700s, there was a pastor and theologian named John Wesley. And John Wesley said this about prayer. He said, prayer is where the action is. Prayer is where the action is. And my hope is that the more we pray and the more we ask God for things and the more we trust and the more humble we are and the more okay we are with the mystery of it all and the more we explore the extent of God's generosity, then the more we will taste and see that the Lord is good. The the more excited we will be and the more we will enjoy our prayers and the more we, we will be able to say, yes, that's what I'm talking about. Because we will be where the action is. Let's pray. God, we we praise you for the gift of today. We thank you that we get to gather here, sing and pray and talk and learn and study and ask questions and be challenged. God, when it comes to prayer, uh, for all of us, I pray that we can just continue to trust you more and more. That we can come to you in humility and say, God, you're, you're what we have and we need you. That we can be okay with the mystery of it. And that we continue to explore the extent of your generosity because we believe you want to shower us with things that are good. God, we trust you, we praise you, we give you thanks, and we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen.